Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Into the week of October 24th, 2021, and to the 22nd week after Pentecost. Today we're in the Gospel of Mark, starting in verse 46, going through 52. And this morning I am reading out of the CEB translation once again. Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. As Jesus was leaving Jericho together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus's son, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet. But he shouted even louder, son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and said, call him forward. They called the blind man, be encouraged, get up, he's calling you. So throwing his coat aside, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. At once he was able to see, and he began to follow Jesus on the way. The word of the Lord. All right, so we are picking up right where we left off last week with uh, the story where James and John were essentially asking Jesus for cabinet positions. And, and then it's kind of maybe kind of important to know that right after this story is the text uh, that we know y- usually for Palm Sunday. So Jesus goes into Jerusalem riding a colt, and we know that was a planned protest against Rome. And this set of verses that we just read, sits right in between those two stories. And so, I guess for a little bit of recap, so our story today, Jesus and his followers, they're outside the city of Jericho when this unlikely person, Bartimaeus, calls out to Jesus. And it's important to remember that Bartimaeus would have been a social outcast, like a a marginalized of the marginalized for for being blind, uh, being a beggar, and (laughs) his name literally means son of the unclean. So this guy would have been marginalized of the marginalized, so low in society. So it's important to remember that in all of the Gospels, but particularly we see this in the Gospel of Mark, that it's it's unlikely figures uh, who understand something about Jesus that perhaps even his own disciples don't know. And we saw that last week, right? James and John, obviously part of the uh, the 12, <laughs> 12 disciples, really close to Jesus, and, and yet they miss uh, they kind of miss the main point of Jesus's uh, ministry of service, and he calls them to to be a servant of all. So this person, Bartimaeus, is experiencing uh, blindness. He has an insight into Jesus's identity, as the text put it, puts it, at the son of David, which would have been kind of like a dangerous political statement about Jesus as the anointed one. And so perhaps this is why, uh, you know, he, he cries out from the side of the road, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And the <laughs> those around him tell him to be quiet, right? They don't want any kind of um, attention that could be interpreted as seditious against Rome. But of course, we know the story says that uh, Bartimaeus just gets louder. <laughs> and, and so he eventually, uh, you know, ca- tells the disciples, Jesus tells his disciples to call Bartimaeus forward, Bartimaeus throws off his clothes and approaches Jesus naked, essentially. And Jesus asks him the same thing that he asked uh, James and John last week in our story from from last week. 
you know, what do you want? Um, and Bartimaeus says, you know, he wants to he wants to see, and then Jesus lets him know that his faith has healed him. And then almost more significantly, and this is kind of where I want to take the conversation on Sunday, he begins to follow Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. And then we have the the Palm Sunday text next week where Jesus rides in on a colt. So there's a lot of things going on in this text that I kind of want to explore some of these themes. So I'm just going to throw out some ideas and we'll see, we'll see how far we make it and we'll see where this takes the conversation on Sunday. So Bartimaeus's healing involves not only the, the mystery of his, his faith to, to understand something about Jesus as the son of David, um, but this is all happening in the context of a political movement. So Bartimaeus's healing isn't merely individual or merely physical. It's, it's a complete restoration of his dignity, his social standing, and belonging into the community. And I think that that is, that is an important aspect of this. This is a theme that maybe we can explore in conversation on Sunday, that he's being brought as a marginalized of the marginalized, um, as an outsider, somebody who's on the side of the road, into the community who, who is following Christ on the way to Jerusalem. So uh, on Sunday, I want to talk about this text as maybe offering us a way to further explore what are the qualities that allow us to understand and follow Christ. So there, there was this photo going around this week um, that some of you might have seen of firefighters in Seattle who quit their jobs because they refused to get the vaccine. And they were all uh, kneeling in prayer outside of City Hall. And this is sometimes what, um, what I think of as the kind of behavior that in our society and in our um, cultural forms of Christianity, the majority form of, of Christianity in our country is interpreted as what it looks like to follow Jesus. This group of people kneeling in prayer in a public space, um, that, that usually gets a lot of play, at least uh, on, on social media. And I think, um, I think the statistics would, would bear that out, that this is sort of the majority form of Christianity in our country. Uh, and th even though this kind of behavior, I think it's kind of a, it's like a self-inflicted Christian martyrdom that confuses uh, Christian nationalism for following Christ, right? We're going to kind of get into that. Maybe we can talk about that on Sunday as well. But I think it's un important to, this photo stuck with me all week, and I'll, I'll try to put it up in a slide this weekend, um, that it's important to lay out the distinctions of what is happening in these kinds of uh, scenarios and to explore what is happening in that kind of uh, ideology um, because there are really problematic theological underpinnings that prop up these, um, what I would call a majoritarian uh, Christian ideology. So, uh, so, for the f so stay with me here, but for the kind of Christianity that the majority of Americans, I should say, broadly follow, I think it goes something like this. This would probably be an oversimplification, but um, I'm okay to be corrected on this, but this is kind of where my uh, head was going, that this majority Christianity understands that God is present in certain places and not present in other places. Okay, so God is present in certain places, and then that means God is not present in other places. 
And furthermore, God is for some people and against other people. All right, for some people and against other people. This is why uh, Christians often insulate themselves inside churches, inside church programs, more church, more church programs, uh, insulate themselves inside Christian schools or homeschooling, etc. You get the point. Because in this mindset, there is uh, there is an outside secular world that is uh, either going to tarnish or tempt their children or whatever. And I think just to to touch on a couple of statistics, I think this is how you get seventy uh, six starts sixty eight percent of white evangelicals. Uh, also believe that the U.S. has no responsibility to take in refugees. So this is a similar kind of mindset, right, that they're, that God is for some people and against other people. 68% of white evangelicals believe the U.S. has no responsibility to take in refugees, right? <laughs> Excuse me. You know, an idea for me that would be uh, core to the message of the gospel would be to, <laughs> to, to oversimplify, to, to be caring for the poor and the marginalized, uh, the refugee. I mean, l- literally something that the Bible talks about over and over and over and over again uh, to take in the refugee. Like, the Christian would have uh, maybe the utmost responsibility to, to refugees. Uh, so how is something so core to the biblical text, and yet almost 70% of white uh, evangelicals think that we have no responsibility for that. Okay, so there's something there's something going on there, right? And I, th- and I think you can simplify it down to God is for some people and against other people. Uh, and maybe another example of this kind of insular, self-centered Christianity uh, is its concern completely with uh, the in-group, who is chosen by God. Um, and I think that you can make the argument that this sense of chosenness or concern with the the in-group has become more problematic and maybe more prominent since the Trump and post-Trump era. And another example of this is uh, American Christians thinking on race, where there was actually an increase in the percentage of Christians who say race is, quote, not at all a problem in the U.S. So it went from 11% in 2019 up to 19% in 2020. So uh, the percentage of American Christians who say race is not at all a problem almost doubled in a year. Okay, so so what is going on in, in this sort of insular, self-centered uh, Christian nationalism where obviously that's not a majority number like uh, the number of refugees, but there's something going on in American Christianity where uh, the number almost doubles in a year, uh, the percentage of Christians who say race is not at all a problem. Uh, a more subtle use of this framework is just the simple phrase of God bless America, right? Like th- there's an inherent idea that God is for a particular group of people. And so all this to say is that there are theological underpinnings that actually play themselves out in the real world and have actual real world consequences. And we see this, um, you know, just even in this photo uh, that I mentioned uh, from from these firefighters in in Seattle. So all this to say is we're, what does it mean to to follow Christ and what does how does this what is the restoration of um, 
Bartimaeus, like what does it signal for us as people wrestling with uh, following Jesus in the way of Christ uh, today? And I'm saying this because if we were to wrestle with what it means to be a Christian or to be called by Christ, uh, it's vital to see that underneath a lot of American Christian theology um, is the root of an oppressive hierarchical system in which it's just the people who are self-proclaimed Christians always get to determine who God loves, who gets to belong to a church, who God says can be married, who deserves a living wage, who has earned a roof over their heads, who gets clean water, or who is killed by police or the U.S. military in war. I mean, you can just insert whatever um, issue of injustice you want there because it's in this uh, ideological, this theological construct that the majority of American Christians um, fall under, it is the in-group who gets to determine God's action in the world. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's the in-group that gets to determine what God is doing in the world. And that is exactly not what is going on in this text and not what Jesus was saying in last week's text. If, any, if anything, it is saying that God is on the margins. God's action in the world is for the outcast. Exists outside the city of Jericho. It's on the streets. For uh, American Christians, again, just talking broadly speaking here, um, who see themselves as chosen by God, every situation, no matter how unjust, can always be justified from within because of their perceived chosenness, okay? So then anybody can be collateral damage because the in-group is always most important to God. So, uh, all right, I want to briefly, for our conversation on Sunday, pose maybe... Um, an alternative to this kind of um, Christianity or this oppressive hierarchical ideology in light of what we talked about in uh, the story with Bartimaeus because Bartimaeus is the outcast. It's the outcast who calls out to Jesus. It's the outcast who knows something uh, about Jesus that nobody else knows. And it's the outcast who Jesus responds to. Bartimaeus receives belonging into the community of God who is following Jesus on the way to the cross. Bartimaeus signals a kind of spirituality that's in direct opposition to this insider-only thinking that we've been talking about. Because God's movement in Jesus, in Christ, is about the healing and restoration of all people and all things, but particularly the poor and the marginalized. And this is what the, this is what the good news is all about, that, that God is not present with those who are on the inside, <laughs> okay. that, that God is, uh, that p with people who think that they have all the right answers or who um, put up all the borders to keep the secular world at bay or the outsiders from coming into our country or whate whatever it is, whatever people <laughs> are saying these days. God's action in the world is found on the edges where those who don't have status are restored to dignity. God's action in the world is not dualistic it's it's holistic it includes all people and is concerned isn't simply concerned with individuals but it's also concerned god's also concerned with the healing of systems and generations of oppression 
So how might we embrace um, an inclusive theology that sees the sight of the marginalized as the immediate presence of God? How does, how does this story transform the way we understand belonging, healing, and grace holistically and um, systemically? Uh, the liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez says, if there is no friendship with the poor and no sharing the life of the poor, then there is no authentic commitment to liberation because love exists only among equals. And as we talked about last week in the text uh, where we left off, uh, it says the Son of Man came to liberate many. So we're kind of continuing this, this idea of um, God's movement on the world, not only being with uh, the poor and those that are marginalized, but it being for the holistic belonging and liberation of, of everything, not only people, um, but again, systems, and I would include the planet. Another way we can think about this um, quote from uh, Gutierrez is um, that God can only exist among equals. So in a, in a hierarchical system of Christian theology or church or oppression, uh, God cannot exist in those uh, systems in, in, in the same way. God can only exist among equals because love only exists among equals. And I, I love that phrase. Maybe that's something we can talk about uh, on Sunday as well. Um, so these two texts, last week and this week, give us an opportunity to see dualism, oppression, and justice in our world in, in a different way, not only from a theological perspective, but realizing that the theological necessitates the social and political healing as well. Okay, so I don't know if... if um, You've, you guys probably saw this on, um, on social media this week, but Pope Francis uh, had a speech uh, last week where he laid out uh, nine commandments. And I want to read this. We'll do a prayer on Sunday with these in mind. But I want to leave uh, this with us at the end, uh, leave us at the end with this thought as a way of, of an amazing way of how we can understand uh, God's action in the world and liberation and healing being much more holistic, being, uh, again, broader than just healing uh, the individual or saving the individual, that it is inclusive of, in necessi the theological necessitates um, the, the, the social and political healing. All right, so here are Pope Francis's nine commandments that he read out, and uh, I'm just going to read these, and I'll close this. I ask all the great pharmaceutical laboratories to release patents, make a gesture of humanity to allow every country, every people, every human being to have access to vaccines. There are countries where there are only three or four percent of the inhabitants that have been vaccinated. In the name of God, I ask financial groups in international credit institutions to allow poor countries to assure the basic needs of their people and to cancel those debts that are so often contracted against the interests of those same peoples. In the name of God, I ask the great extractive industries of mining, oil, forestry, real estate, and agribusiness to stop destroying forests, wetlands, mountains, to stop polluting rivers, seas, and to stop poisoning food and people. In the name of God, I ask the great food corporations to stop 
imposing monopolistic systems of production and distribution that inflate prices and end up withholding bread from the hungry. In the name of God, I ask the arms manufacturers and dealers to completely stop their activity because it foments violence and war and it contributes to those awful geopolitical games with the cost of millions of lives displaced and millions dead. In the name of God, I ask technology giants to stop exploiting human weakness, people's vulnerability for the sake of profits without caring about the spread of hate speech, grooming, fake news, conspiracy theories, and political manipulation. In the name of God, I ask the telecommunications giants to ease access to educational material and connectivity for teachers via the internet so that poor children can be educated even under quarantine. In the name of God, I ask the media to stop the logic of post-truth disinformation, defamation, slander, and the unhealthy attraction to dirt and scandal to contribute to the human fraternity and empathy with those who are most deeply damaged. In the name of God, I call on powerful countries to stop aggression, blockades, and unilateral sanctions against any country anywhere on earth. No to neo-colonialism. Conflicts must be resolved in a multilateral fora such forums such as the United Nations. We have already seen how unilateral interventions, invasions, occupations end up, even if they are justified by noble motives and fine words. The system with its relentless logic of profit is escaping all human control. It's time to slow down the locomotive, an out of control locomotive hurling towards the abyss because there's still time. Together with the poor on earth, I wish to ask governments and general politicians of all parties to represent their people and to work for the common good. I want to ask them for the courage to look at their own people, to look people in the eye, and the courage to know that the good, the good of people is much more of a consensus between parties. Let them stop listening exclusively to economic elites who so often spout superficial ideologies that ignore humanity's real dilemmas. May they be servants of the people who demand land, work, housing, and a good living. This, this is good human living that puts us in harmony with all humanity, with all creation. And I want to ask of us all religious leaders never to use the name of God to foment wars or coups. Let us stand by the people, the workers, the humble, and let us struggle together with them so integral human development may become a reality. Let us build bridges of love so that the voices of the periphery with their weeping uh, but also with the singing of joy provoke not fear but empathy in the rest of society like everything that leads us to indifference meritocracy and individual individualism these narratives only serve to divide our people and to undermine and nullify our poetic capacity the capacity to dream together all right well church may we dream together and I look forward to our conversation on Sunday. And as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be welcome.